you're listening to the Fitness Matters Podcast with Paula B, and this is episode number 22. Hello again and welcome, my friends. I'm so glad that you are here for another episode of the Fitness Matters Podcast, where every week we talk about the fitness matters that matter to you. And I'm just going to clarify something super duper quick. I did not realize until after I had started like putting together the, you know, graphics and like promotional materials for this episode. I didn't think about how else you might hear the title Old Thoughts, (laughs) because in my mind, I know exactly what I'm going to talk about today. I'm going to talk about old thoughts that we have that aren't serving us, that make us feel bad, and old ways of thinking. But it occurred to me, after I had gotten some of the graphics put together, that you might think that we are talking about thoughts about being old, which would be a really relevant thing to talk about. I mean, that's a fitness matter, and it certainly matters to me, but but that's not the topic today. Today, today we are talking about something that I see so, so often, and something that I'd really, I've been thinking about how to how to address this and how to broach this topic for quite some time. And I I think, if I had to guess, that this is one of those topics where I'm going to get kind of riled up. And, and I'm just going to tell you straight up, if I start ranting, it's it, this is why. Because this is an old thought that I've been having for a while. You guys, when when I point out to you sometimes, and when I'm telling you this, I'm talking about when we have conversations on social media and really specifically when we have conversations on Facebook, in my private Facebook group, The Killer Beehive. It's free, it's fun, it's super interactive. There's always a link in the show notes or the description, depending on where you're watching or listening. This is this is where I get a lot of my interaction with you guys. I, I hear I hear some of what you're saying when you leave comments on YouTube, but generally speaking, comments on YouTube tend to be sort of a one-time thing. It doesn't lead to a conversation the same way that, you know, Facebook with its nesting comments, you can really go back and forth quite a bit. On YouTube, and this is totally beside the point, but I'm going to mention it. On YouTube, I get notifications in a very different way. When you reply to a comment that you left, let's say two days ago, and then you know I replied yesterday, and then you reply today, I don't get to see your original comment in my comment feed. The back end of YouTube is extremely linear. So if you left a comment on, you know, April 1st at 8 a.m., that comment is always going to be in a fixed position in my feed. So no matter how many different people reply to it, no matter how many times I reply to it, no matter how many times you reply to it, it doesn't bump back up to the top of my feed. So when you reply, I can't always find it again because, I mean, just so you know, and this this is going to sound like a brag, because it is, I get literally hundreds of comments a day. So I, I am at a position with my YouTube career where it's actually really hard for me to have full-blown conversations in the comments when when we're trying to go back and forth on one original comment, which is why, I mean, just so you know, if you ever do reply, sometimes I don't reply again because I can't find it. It's, it's really, it's a user error on my part that I can't find it. 
In any event, here is something that I see frequently on Facebook in the Killer Beehive, my private, supportive, interactive group where it's really easy to have conversations because of the way Facebook comments work. I, I will sometimes lovingly point out when, when we are having any kind of like question and answer or coaching session, I will sometimes lovingly point out that some of the things that you are thinking about yourself might not be serving you. That sometimes when you are having a negative thought or not even negative because negative sounds so judgy, but, but a thought that, you know, that you are thinking, oh, you know, something is difficult for me, or oh, you know, I I hear pretty frequently, oh, you know, I've always had low self-esteem. I've always I've always had a hard time saying nice things about myself. And and I hear that and I understand how how real that feels. I mean, I also have said negative things about myself for years. And I understand how that can feel so unchanging. It can feel so permanent. It can just feel like a character trait. Like, oh, you know, this is, this is how I am. This is, this is the way I think. And I want you to understand that thoughts about yourself are opinions. Now, this is something that we have talked about. And if you have listened to the episode Facts Versus Opinions, you're, I mean, you could probably even skip ahead a little bit because I am going to recap briefly. Facts Versus Opinions is honestly, if you have not listened to that episode, of course, there's a link in the show notes or the description below. I I highly recommend, in fact, I'm going to figure out some way to like highlight this on on my channel or, or something because it is probably the most important episode I've ever recorded because it has the most like fundamental basics of pretty much everything else we talk about. Here's, here's in a nutshell, here's the thing about facts versus opinions. We very often think that the things that we are thinking are facts, but the difference between facts and opinions and in in fact, the difference between facts, opinions, and lies is that facts can be proven true, really objectively. Like literally 100% of people on earth would agree that most of the time the sky is blue, except of course, like when the sun is sitting, it turns into like a, a gorgeous purple or pink or orange or whatever. But anyways, most people, most of the time will agree about the fact that the sky is blue. An opinion is actually something that can be proven true or false. And really quickly, a lie is something that can be proven false. But opinions, this is, this is where we get into, this is where we get into the real meat of this topic. Opinions can be proven true or false. And we personally spend a lot of time basically trying to prove them true, especially with old thoughts, something we've been thinking for a long time. We have gathered a lot of evidence. We can tell stories. We can make charts and graphs. We can really talk about this for hours about how, of course, this thing that I am telling myself, it is absolutely the truth. It is a fact. But somebody else in your same same position or looking at your and here's my air quotes, facts, could think something completely different. And that's how we can prove your opinions either true or false. 
and that's how we know that they're opinions. And the great thing about opinions is that you can change them. You can change your opinions. You can change your thoughts. Now, the thing is, when we have these old thoughts, I mean, stuff that we have been thinking since we were a kid, you know, something that your parents said to you a million times over and over, it has become so truthy that it feels very hefty, very weighty, very meaty. It feels big. And that can seem like it's not going to be changeable in a, in a different way than maybe an opinion that you have thought of as a fact for a shorter amount of time, something that really didn't, you didn't start thinking about yourself until you were older. But here's what I want to tell you. Old thoughts are still opinions. They don't carry any more weight. They don't have any different quality about them than a newer thought. The method of changing your thoughts, changing your opinions, is actually always the same. And we are going to talk about that, but I want to really dig in here with why we think that an old thought is so much harder to change. And just really, really quickly, the thought that an old thought is hard to change is also a thought. It's also an opinion <laughs> because we get it in our heads. Oh, it's going to be so hard to change that. But I will tell you, I, I will prove that to be false. I can tell you about old thoughts that I have that I have changed. And the method was the same as changing a newer thought. And it wasn't, in all honesty, any harder than changing a newer thought. Now, if for the longtime listeners, when, you know, this was still the Let's Run podcast, you might recognize the story that I'm about to tell you. I, when I was a kid, I put on a parade in my neighborhood. And, and, and the way that I told this story on another episode, and I don't remember exactly which one it is. It's one of two episodes. I think, I think it's the self-acceptance episode, but it might also be the changing your negative self-talk. It's probably the changing your negative self-talk. I will, I will go back and I will listen to those and I'll put a link for whichever episode it is so that you can hear a little bit longer version of this parade story. But when I was about seven years old, I got it in my head that I was going to put on a parade for the neighborhood. It was a 4th of July parade. I gathered up the other neighbor kids and I was, of course, going to be, you know, the ringleader, the, the, um, oh my gosh, the baton twirler. I can't think of what that's called right now. Thank you, menopause brain. It'll either come to me later or it won't, but you know what I'm saying. The person at the front of the parade. And I had printed up these little flyers and I was charging people a penny to come and see this parade. And I, I'm pretty sure I had already distributed the flyers, but I don't know for sure when my parents saw it and they were just absolutely aghast. And they were like, you cannot charge people a penny to come outside their front doors and see this parade. This is no way. So I printed up a new flyer, you know, with, oh, this is totally free. Come out and see us. Here's the time. Here's the place. Here's what we're doing. Blah, blah, blah. And for the longest time, I had this thought that I didn't even think consciously. Truly, I, it didn't occur to me what the actual words were in my head, but I had this feeling, this thought, this opinion that I wasn't even worth a penny. When I first started doing self-acceptance work, 
I actually came at it from the point of view of trying to make more money. I am, I am what you might call, or I was, what you might call a chronic under earner. I, I had a lot of trouble earning what I am worth. And, and I had these stories in my head, like this parade of my parents telling me, no, you can't even charge a penny for this effort that you're putting out, for this creative endeavor, this work that you're putting in. I, I also, one of my earliest memories is I, probably around the same age, except probably I think I was younger, like five or six. In fact, I think I was five. I remember we had Saturday chores, of course. I mean, I grew up in the 70s. We had to work for our money. <laughs> I'm laughing because we tried to make my kids like work for allowance. And when they were younger, they, they did. They worked for money. But I mean, we gave them a lot more money. When I was a kid, we earned five cents for every year of your age. And so I remember at age five, you know, holding out my hand and getting a quarter and watching my brother, who would have been 10, getting literally twice as much money as me. And I remember being really mad about that. I felt like it was wildly unfair. And I remember asking, why does Mike make more money than I do? Why do Mike and Vicky make more money than I do? You know, here I was, five years old, standing up for my worth. And my dad explained that this is how much you earn, that you earn five cents for every year of your age. And I remember being really angry about the fact that I was putting in what I felt. I mean, of course I was five, you know, I felt like I was putting in the same effort that I was putting in a lot of work, but I was making less money. And I thought that was completely unfair. And as an adult, I kind of see I see their point about, obviously my results were probably half of what my brother was doing. I mean, I guarantee he had to mow the lawn. I probably had to dust the living room. I mean, he was doing more and I get, I get now that you, you pay based on results and that's, I mean, it's one method of payment. I also, I mean, I have some parenting opinions about truly, I think an allowance is honestly just to keep, teach kids how to have and spend and save money even more so than putting some kind of value about how hard you're working or what results you're getting. Even though, even though that is a lesson to be learned later in life that, that you make money based on value. But anyway, I mean, that's totally to the aside. But anyways, so I, I had this thought in my mind that was not even a conscious thought that I am worth less than my brother and sister, or I mean, just in general, I am worth less than other people. And then, you know, a couple of years later, here comes the parade with, I am not even worth a penny. And over the years, I had built up lots and lots and lots of evidence in support of this fact, in my mind, these facts, that I was not worth money, that my my parents, specifically my dad, did not want to spend money on me and that I was worth less than my brother and my sister. And I had built up all kinds of evidence. And the thing that was really funny to me coming at this when I kind of worked through it and figured it out is that I honestly didn't even hear these thoughts in my head. It wasn't like, you know, I woke up every day and I said, well, I'm less than Mike and Vicky, you know, or I'm less valuable than my siblings. It wasn't a thought. 
What happened though is when I would think about or be reminded in some way of allowances or our childhood or the parade or, or, or anything kind of it, honestly, lots of lots of things vaguely childhood related. I would feel this kind of gut churning embarrassment, or like just an icky feeling. I felt not good, and I didn't put it into words. Like I said, it wasn't that I was thinking, "Oh, I'm not worth a penny," and therefore that brought up this sick feeling in my stomach. No, not at all. In fact, quite the opposite. I'd be thinking about things that didn't seem like a big deal, but I would get that gut-churning, sick, I'm not valuable feeling. And so it took me a long time to even find these thoughts, these opinions that I had. And when I did, I started realizing just how often they came up, just how often I was looking for evidence, just how often I found evidence for these thoughts. And and I'm going to I'm going to finish but I'm with you know how I resolved that when we get into the method of resolution but I want to tell you what else was really difficult about changing thoughts and why it might feel very difficult for you to change an old thought. Here's what we know about the brain. Your brain totally wants to be efficient. I mean, we we have definitely covered this. I'll cover it again. Your brain has like a hierarchy of things that it is supposed to do. And it's it's biology. It's 100% biology. It's not just your brain. Actually, your body does this same sort of thing. The number one biological imperative is to stay alive. I mean, that's that's first and foremost. We have all kinds of systems in place that you need to stay alive. Number two is that you're you're trying to stay the same. <laughs> And number three is that you should adapt when necessary. So your brain, when it has a thought that feels like a truth, it feels like something that's been repeated, it gets very efficient at thinking this thought. And it just thinks it over and over. Your brain has no opinion about what you're thinking. Your brain doesn't care if the thought makes you feel good or bad. It simply has gotten very good at thinking it. It has thought it now hundreds of thousands of times, so it's gonna keep thinking it. And when we try to change something, your body doesn't love change. Your brain doesn't love change. All change is bad change. All change is scary. Because your brain has gotten very efficient at whatever it gets efficient at, it feels very comfortable with that. And thinking a new thought could be dangerous. We've gone over this before about how your your brain just wants to protect you. Again, stay alive. Number one imperative, stay alive. Anything new, you know, eating that new berry, trying to be friendly to that new animal could actually kill you way, way, way back in the day. So anything new, your brain automatically regards as very suspicious. It feels scary. It sends you physical fear signals. It makes your heart pound. It makes you a little bit sweaty. It makes you feel scared because you're trying to think or do, 
you know, sometimes you are doing, but in this case, think something new. So to recap here, because your brain wants to be efficient and it, therefore it doesn't want to change and change is scary, you're trying, when you're trying to think about these old thoughts, you're trying to exchange a thought that makes you feel terrible, something like, I have no value, but it's a familiar thought for a thought that feels good, like, of course I'm valuable, but that's terrifying because it's new. I mean, you are literally choosing between two truly awful choices. You are choosing not even the lesser of two evils. You are simply choosing between two evils. You've got your comfortable thought that makes you feel bad all the time, or you've got this new thought that makes you, it could possibly make you feel good, but it's terrifying to think that new thing. Your brain is a funny, funny, funny brain, but your brain is also so powerful, so capable, and so eventually willing to think a new thought. Now here's the method, and I know we have, we truly have, we've talked about this before, but I'm going to tell you exactly how this worked for me. Number one is to identify the thought, and this can be hard. As I mentioned, when I would think about my childhood, I would just get this vaguely yucky feeling. I had, I can't even tell you how long it took me to actually hear the words in my head, I must not be valuable. I must not be worth anything. I'm going to say months at least before I could finally even identify the thought. Some of your thoughts will be significantly easier. I mean, some of them will literally be in, you know, your mom's voice or your dad's voice <laughs> telling you, you know, you're stupid or something like that. Some of them will be very obvious. Some of them you will hear in your head, but you still have to identify them. Identifying it and identifying it as a thought slash opinion is going to take some finesse. It's going to take some, some real work on your part. Observing your thoughts and then having the clarity to understand that it is an opinion is going to take some practice on your part. I mean, all of this is, in fact, I mean, I'm skipping ahead, but step three is practice. <laughs> but but step, step two is to decide what you want to think on purpose. I mean, here's what, here's what happened to me. The parade thing, and this is the story that I told in whatever old episode that I'm going to look up. The parade thing, I realized after many, many, many 40 plus years of thinking, oh my gosh, I'm not worth anything. I finally realized that oh my gosh, I was a born entrepreneur. I was a born performer. I was probably seven years old and I wanted to be at the head of the parade leading the charge and all eyes on me. Hello, YouTube. It's exactly what I'm doing now as a 50-year-old woman. When I realized that I could reframe that, that incident, you know, that, that tragic incident in my mind as something that was absolute 100% proof of something fantastic, that thought changed almost instantly. It took very, very little effort on my part to see that whole situation as me 
being me and being awesome at being me. But the thing about the allowance, the allowance took a little bit more time. And that's why I brought it up today, because this is something that I had to work on for a while. That allowance story, and that one I did, I, I pictured that one probably for years before I could figure out exactly how I wanted to think about that. And because I had so much evidence for, for many, many, many times in my life when I perceived myself to be valued both monetarily and in other ways as less than my siblings, it took a long time to parse out the fact that this was an opinion and to even decide how I wanted to think about that. Because thinking something as, I guess, big as I'm as valuable as Mike and Vicki, it didn't feel very true. I mean, I had gathered years of evidence of all these different ways that my parents had put me last because I was the last kid. And, and so deciding what I wanted to think, I really had to come up with something that felt even partially true. And this is, again, something that's going to take a little bit of effort on your part, something that's going to take a little bit of finessing and a little bit of finagling. Because I came up with different thoughts that, uh, that I tried to replace it with. And, and none of them really worked. I mean, I, I, again, I spent a couple of years on this allowance story and this less than story to try and figure out how I wanted to think about it. And, and the thing that changed for me and I, I happen to know exactly when it was. There was, it was October 4th of 2017. We happened to all be together as a family, my brother and my sister and both of my parents and my dad's wife and all of, all of the spouses, but I don't think all of the grandkids were there. In any event, we, we all happened to be together and it, my sister was very sick at the time, and so we took a bunch of pictures, which is why I specifically remember, because when I'm scrolling through my phone, I often see the date, October 4th of 2017, when, when I've seen these pictures. But for whatever reason, and I have no idea why it came up, my dad was telling my husband the story of my birth. And he was going on and on and on about what a great day it was and how exciting it was and where he was and what he was doing. And I, I think partially, I'm, I, I'm, hopefully I got this part of the story right. I think I was the only birth that he was there for because it was 1969 and, you know, earlier they didn't used to allow husbands in the, in the birthing room. So I think that I'm the only one of the kids that he got to see born. So, you know, therefore it was very vivid in his mind. I mean, he got to actually like witness it, which is a pretty crazy event. Let's be honest. So, but he was going on and on about how excited he was and what a great day it was. And I was like, and this is going to sound so silly, but I was like, my dad really loves me. <laughs> and of course my dad loves me. I mean, obviously, maybe not obviously, but I mean, my dad and I have had a complicated relationship for, for many years, but, but it was this huge, like, my dad sees the value in me situation. And as soon as I had that thought, I was like, 
I wonder if I can find more evidence for this. And so I asked my big, powerful, beautiful, amazing brain a question. <gasps> because your brain loves to answer questions. <laughs> it loves it. It is the reason why you have your upper brain is because it solves problems. It answers questions. So rather than trying to come up with a new thought that didn't really found, feel super truthy, I asked myself a question. What if my parents have always seen me as valuable? And it's a really, it's a long wordy sentence. I mean, a long wordy question. So it, it didn't roll off my tongue very quickly, but every time I started to feel less than or not as good as, or, or all those questioning my own self-worth, I brought up this question. What if I've always had value? And I found all kinds of situations, all kinds of memories, all kinds of thoughts. And the one that I came back to, I mean, again and again and again over the course of the last couple of years, is my dad with this huge, like the pride in his voice and, and the very clearly being excited that I exist in the world. And here's why it worked. Because I wasn't comparing anymore. It wasn't a thought of I'm less than my brother and sister. It was simply a thought of I am valuable. Because here's the thing, I can actually still come up with all kinds of, you know, evidence of all kinds of situations in which I have been, in my opinion, my thought, been less than my brother and sister. But I also happen to know, I mean, because I have talked to at least my sister about this, and I'm sure my brother feels the same way, that there were times when they felt like they got put last because of me getting put first. So, so understanding that that, that valuation, the, the being less than, is an opinion, allowed me to come up with something else to think. And it wasn't a direct replacement. And I think here's the other thing that's really important. Sometimes we think we have to go from I'm stupid to I'm so smart. It doesn't have to be a one-to-one -one correlation of replacing your old thought with its exact opposite. You can have, I guess I would call it like a lateral thought. It doesn't matter if I'm as valuable as somebody else. I have value. And I have value feels amazing. It has nothing to do with anybody else. It's all about, it's all about me, which I believe we have covered with my parade story. It's always the best thing when it's all about me, right? <laughs> but deciding what you want to think, my friend, the options are limitless. I mean, truly anything that feels good, anything that holds some kind of truth, anything that you can send your brain out in search of evidence for it and have it bring you something back like a dog playing fetch, anything that you can say, what if I've always had value and your brain can go find some evidence of that is an excellent, excellent replacement for your old thought. Anytime you have that old thought, you simply tell yourself this new thing or ask yourself this new question. Well, what if? And what if, I mean, 
we haven't entirely covered the what ifs. We've kind of come at it from a couple of different angles now. But the what if question, kind of like so what, is a really nice way of easing your mind into a new thought. It's a really, it's a really useful way to get curious about your situation rather than be stuck in it. I had been so stuck inside of the question of my value that once I was able to ask a different question, it helped me really take a lot of the sting out. It, take, it took a lot of the comparison out. It, it brought it all to a different, easier way of thinking about it. And then step three, we already covered this, but I'll tell you again, practice it. The fact is every time I heard something in my head about not feeling valuable, not feeling good enough, I simply practiced this question and then repeating these, this evidence that I found for myself that I had plenty of value, that I have always had value, that specifically my parents value me. The practice thing, I think, is the thing that we all think is going to be hard. Again, there's that opinion that practicing the new thought is going to be hard. But I'll tell you what, it's not. It's, it's surprisingly not. When you are, when you understand what the process is, when you understand that the process is not going to feel super, super comfortable because your brain is afraid of new things and it's going to send you fear signals, when you understand that you're capable of thinking new thoughts, some of your old thoughts are going to go down like a ton of bricks. The parade story, seriously, that one took me maybe, maybe five repetitions if I had to put a number on it. Five repetitions of thinking to myself, I'm a born entrepreneur before that story held absolutely no negative charge for me. I don't feel embarrassed about it. I have now told you two times in public about this story. It actually feels really good. I don't get that gut churning, drenched in sweat, sick feeling about that story because frankly, that story says great things about me. That old thought went down easy. Some old thoughts are going to take some effort on your part. They are going to take practice on your part, but some of them are going to be a total breeze. And the thing is, you don't know which way it's going to go until you try. So try it. Identify the thought, decide what you want to think on purpose, and then practice. And I mean, the hidden bonus step four, if you feel like sharing, you know, I want to hear, <laughs> I mean, I mean, at this point I've noticed, I've noticed lately in, in the most recent podcasts that I am telling you more and more embarrassing personal stories <laughs> and, and therefore I want to hear yours too. You know, I don't want to be the only one who's talking about my, my weird thoughts and my childhood and, and all this kind of stuff. I would love to hear your old thoughts. Or, I mean, on a far more positive note, I'd love to hear your new thoughts. I'd love to hear how easy it was to replace something that you have been thinking about for years that feels bad with something that feels good. Feel free to share. I would love to hear from you. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening. Mm -hmm.